You're listening to the Pursue God Family Podcast, the official channel for marriage and parenting topics at PursueGod.org. Join Tracy and Brian Dwyer every week as they talk about living biblically in an increasingly secular world. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org slash family. Well, hey there, couples. Welcome to the very first episode of hopefully many, many episodes, many years of episodes as Tracy and I talk with you about marriage and parenting and everything that makes your family healthy. And Tracy, I thought it'd be fitting for us to kick off our podcast by talking about a series that we call Marriage Basics. This is a series we've used for many years. Every couple we do premarital counseling with, we go through Marriage Basics. Uh, Couples that maybe need a marriage checkup, we go through these basic principles because we're firm believers and just some real simple pillars, just a few pillars that make it really easy for people to understand how to have a lifelong, healthy, happy marriage. And in this first episode, we're going to talk about that first pillar, which has everything to do with love. Next week, we'll talk about trust. The week after that, we'll talk about conflict resolution, really, really basic practical stuff. But before we get into any of it, I thought it might be interesting to start off, Tracy, with some stats on marriage and divorce. Yeah, some positive news is we have seen the divorce rate decline a little bit over the last couple of years, but we're still hovering about 44%. So we're not at 50%, but we're not that far away from there that half of marriages are ending in divorce. Uh, When you look at second and third marriages, those stats start to get pretty yucky. Second marriages are at about 60% rate of divorce. Third marriages are at 73%. So there's definitely a trend Uh, that the more times you get married, there might be some other issues going on that it's not really the person you're married to. It might be some things going on in yourself. Um, We do find too statistically that couples that go through their first divorce are usually by about the age of 30. Couples that are younger, like 20 to 25, 60% of those marriages are ending in divorce. So again, a lot of the things we're going to talk about, especially today about love, really speak to why these younger folks that get married at the age of 20 um, are divorcing at such a high rate because there might just be a total misunderstanding of what love is really about. Something else that's kind of interesting is um, ethnically, Asian Americans have the lowest rate of divorce, and there might be some a lot of reasons for that, but that's kind of interesting to look at. And then what we're going to talk about today, which kind of is an interesting contrast in many ways, is what an American culture, how we view love and marriage versus a country like India, because India has the lowest divorce rates globally of all countries around the world at about 1.1%. So that's that's really... That's shocking. You know, just think about that. 44% in the U.S., and 1.1% in India. Now, that's not necessarily all good because maybe some some of that is part of their culture might be potentially some abuse or women don't women aren't empowered to speak up. So those aren't necessarily happy marriages, right? Right. And there are some, you know, intermingling of families and how arranged marriages work in that culture that sometimes it's hard to untangle that more than like in an American culture. But nonetheless, there is something I think for us to look at their view of marriage and commitment versus what we see in American society. 
Yeah, and I think that uh, I think this idea—it's such such a great contrast. This idea of being arranged, having an arranged marriage—that that you might meet the person that you would marry um, just days or weeks or days before you get married, and many of those marriages would go the would last a lifetime. And a lot of that is because culturally, it's just—it's not an expectation. Maybe there's just not an expectation. There's maybe there's a different definition of even mm-hmm. what we mean by the word love. And, and it's really more about a commitment. It's more about uh, having a common purpose, maybe raising kids, things like that. Now, again, I'm not, we're not saying we should, as a culture, that we should move to being having arranged marriages. That's not necessarily what we're saying. Uh, we're just, it's such an interesting contrast to talk about arranged marriages versus the way we do it in our culture. So let's talk about that for a second, Tracy, because I think it'd be good for people before we even jump into the first biblical principle for a healthy marriage, it's good for us to take a look and dissect our American culture in which we live and how modern culture depicts love. And really, it's it's just a feeling. It's a feeling that comes and goes. And so if this is what you're raised on in the movies and in music and in popular culture, then it's no surprise that 44% of our marriages end in divorce because as soon as that feeling goes away, then, well, maybe maybe we're not in love anymore, right? Yeah, in fact, I found this interesting statistic from 2019 that the reasons that people get married, love is 90%. People who get married, 90% of people are saying it's for love. But third on the list is commitment at 63%. So I find that kind of interesting that in our society, People are getting married for the feeling of love, but there's almost this recognition of, I mean, maybe we're not going to be in a lifelong marriage. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm chasing the feeling of love, but I'm not necessarily chasing commitment. So I just think that's kind of interesting. There's a little bit of a disconnect, I think. And it's because I feel like, as we've seen, like culture has just put such an emphasis on feelings and like really lust and being swept off your feet, that for most people, I mean, maybe you feel that initially with someone in your life, but certainly the longer you're married, those kinds of feelings dissipate over time. So does that mean you don't love each other as much? It just becomes very confusing. Like what exactly is love? And our culture has done a really good job of confusing that in all of us, I think. In fact, I was watching that Netflix series, um, The Indian Matchmaking, coming back to the connection of like a culture like India, where the parents, almost all of them were arranged marriages. That generation, uh, they met their spouse maybe two or three days before the wedding, but they've been happily now married 40 to 50 years. And so now though, they're raising a generation of um, American Indian children who are here in this culture being influenced by our culture. And they're, they don't, want an arranged marriage. That's the last thing that they want. They want this feeling of love. So they hire these matchmakers trying to find like this perfect connection. And the parents are kind of looking at the kid like, okay, we'll do this for you. But, you know, I met your dad, you know, two days before we got married. And at first I wasn't sure if I liked him, but I grew to love him over time as we shared life together. The emphasis was more on the, we made a commitment and then we fell in love. Whereas this generation's like, no, I got to find this perfect match and fall in love with this person, and then maybe I'll be committed. Yeah, it's interesting. We have couples come to us sometimes when they're just about ready to get to 
get divorced and we say, why, why are you guys seeking a divorce? And a lot of times, most of the time, their answer is, we just don't love each other anymore. Mm-hmm. And I always like to come back with this question, what, what does that word mean? Let's define terms. What do you even mean by love? Because like the statistic says, Trace, love, 90% of people get married because of love, but only 63% of people get married because of commitment. So clearly, love and commitment aren't the same thing. But yet, what we're going to be looking at today is that biblically, they, they are. Actually, biblically, commitment is more akin to the concept of love than certainly than a romantic feeling, because probably that's what they mean by that is kind of the warm fuzzies, the romantic feeling. I don't feel romantically the way I, about this person today, like I did 10 or 20 or 30 years ago. And again, an Indian, an older Indian couple might say, well, who who cares? In fact, I bet you they would argue that they have more romantic love later in life than they do early in life, because romantic love that grows out of commitment is really the best kind of love. You know, the love that grows out of this, you know, being on purpose together, sharing experiences together, being committed to each other, taking a bullet for one another, um, helping each other through sickness and in health. I mean, these are the things that, that, that solidify a healthy marriage instead of exposing an unhealthy marriage. And so that's why I think it's so important. That's why we always like to talk about love first. Let's let's challenge people who are listening, whether you're thinking about getting married, whether you're thinking about getting a divorce, whether you're just looking for a little bit of a marriage checkup, really ask yourself this question, how would you define love? What what does love really mean to you? Because that's what we're going to be talking about today. And by the way, Tracy, let's go back to some of some of those other statistics. People are probably wondering what what were some other reasons people got married. So love, 90%. Companionship, 66%. Commitment, 63%. The desire to have children, 31%. Finances, 13%. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. 13%. Legal rights and benefits, 10%. That kind of probably goes with finances a little bit. And pregnancy, 6%. So 6% of people get married because they got pregnant, mm-hmm. which, by the way, isn't necessarily a great reason to get married. I mean, maybe you, if that's your situation, maybe you should really consider getting married. But I think you should listen to this whole episode first and talk about it with somebody because it's really important for you to understand what love is not what our culture says that love is, because if you define it improperly, then you're probably not going to go the distance in your marriage, right? Yeah, yeah. and then I think just even, just to highlight for a minute, Brian, like some of the movies that kind of have uh, have risen to like the epitome of what love is, like I, I can't tell you how many people in my life who love the movie The Notebook... <laughs> They just love that story because it was like forbidden love. It was the rich girl and the poor guy. And they just have this amazing connection and this relationship. And then he has to go off to war and then he comes back. Well, she's a, she's in another relationship. She's with somebody else. And yet now here he comes back. And then it like the whole point of the movie is to root for her to leave the guy she's currently in a relationship with to come back to this guy because it was like this that was the real love. The real love was those feelings that she had for this guy that was really based more on forbidden love and how confusing that is for our teenagers who then become young adults who are then looking for this companion that their version of love is supposed to be this like I can't live without you kind of love which really is not 
long, like who can maintain that kind of emotion to someone? Like that's just not a realistic way of viewing what love looks like in a marriage. Yeah, in fact, I just to argue the other side in pop culture, every once in a while there'll be a movie out there that really shocks us that they got it right. And I'm pretty sure Spanglish was one of those. It's been a while, but Spanglish, I think if I'm thinking of the right movie, that was again one of those movies where you're watching it and there's this couple and and their marriage is on the rocks and and this guy meets this other gal and there's like real understanding there. There's a real connection there. And you, you find yourself kind of like in the notebook, you find yourself rooting for the affair. That I think the directors do a good job with that. They get you to think, this is the real love. This is the, this is the love that the universe really wants to happen, right? And, and so again, as married couples sitting there watching this, I mean, how many couples really have that kind of a relationship where it's just where you can make it look so wonderful and romantic in 60 minutes or 90 minutes? Of course, of course we can't, most couples can't compare their everyday boring marriage to something like that. And so, but what I found myself doing in Spanglish, again, is you're, you're sort of rooting on, you're rooting for the affair, but the surprising thing, I encourage people to go watch this movie tonight. The surprising thing is that the guy, I can't remember if it was a guy or the girl, but whoever it was, they made the right choice. They actually went back to their spouse. And I remember just being floored by this in the culture that we live in, that everything was pointing toward ditch your husband or your wife because this other thing is real love. This other thing is true love. And I love that that movie did the opposite. And it, and it, it got me to reflect on what love really means, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, and I can't, I can't um, leave this part of the conversation without also highlighting a time that I feel like Hollywood got it right, which is if any Office fans out there, how long we rooted for Jim and Pam to get together. And there were times in the storyline where he just loved her from afar. She was engaged to somebody else. Then she breaks that off and is looking to him, thinking, yes, I want to be with you. But then he was with somebody else. And then they finally get together. They get married. It was like this awesome event in the, in the life of the series of The Office. And then as time goes, they have a couple kids. And then they write into the start part of the storyline as Jim's pursuing this career opportunity and he's having to travel a lot. And you're starting to see some fracturing in their relationship. And I thought, oh, man, what a bummer that The Office is going to you know, have Jim and Pam get a divorce. How sad is that? But boy, did they surprise us. And I thought it was such actually a beautiful picture of what we're talking about today, that if you remember this episode is Jim's getting ready to get into the cab to go back to Philly for this other job. And Pam is, you know, pretty cold and just says, say, see you later. You know, it was kind of like, here's the end. This is the end. They're going to get a divorce. And Jim leaves and then Pam's sitting there and then she grabs the umbrella and she runs downstairs before he gets in the cab and... She turns, he turns around and instead of just looking at her and saying, thanks for the umbrella, he just comes towards her and he just starts hugging her. And at first she's pretty cold and then she starts to soften and now they're hugging each other, like really hugging each other. And in the background you hear 1 Corinthians 13, something that they had read in the, in the wedding ceremony on the office, that love is patient and kind and that it's 
never ending and always enduring. It was just like this powerful picture of like, yeah, they went through a really hard time in our society. And maybe even in the Hollywood scripts, people would be like, yeah, their time is done. They loved each other once. Now they don't anymore. Who cares? Move on. You'll find somebody else. But boy, it was a powerful setting of like, I'm not going to let that we're not going to let our marriage fail. We're going to figure it out. And then, you know, the end of the series is they're, they're together and he sacrificed for her. She sacrificed for him. And, and it was just, I was pleasantly surprised. Well, and the other thing that we love about that scene is that Jim, in, in fact, even in their relationship, it's kind of rare for Jim to be a guy that has, again, I'm not saying he's got biblical values, but he's trying to be a leader. He's trying to lead her and love her in through all of that, which is so refreshing to see because so many depictions of men in our culture today are they're they're just the they're weak and they don't ever make you know principled decisions. And it's so good to see a guy make a principled decision. And maybe this is for another episode, but I just want to say to men out there who are listening, husbands or husbands to be out there who are listening, pay attention to this. Don't just make your spouse or your fiance listen to this and give you the Cliff's Notes version. You need to own it. You need to lead in this, men. I wanna, I'm just going to say that. Men, you need to lead in this. As you lead your, your marriage, your spouse, your wife through, uh, hopefully you're leading through some of, these, some of these topics. Don't take a back seat, but, but really show your wife and, or your, your fiancé that you believe this stuff and that, that you are going to own it as much as you want her to own it. And so with that as a backdrop, Tracy, let's get to the first principle. Remember, there's only three. The first principle is about love. Next week, we'll talk about the second principle, which is about trust. And then the third principle is just is really, really practical. It's just about how you communicate, even, even to the point of fighting, how to fight right, how to communicate um, how to continue to talk in your marriage, continue to fight for marriage. Anyway, that's for a few weeks from now. But for today, the first principle, this core principle that comes straight from the Bible is that love is a choice, not just a feeling. So forget what culture says, forget what the movies and the music tell us, forget what you even believe in your heart, what feels right in your heart. The, the biblical con- concept of love, marital love, is that it's a choice. It's not just a feeling. And one of the questions, Tracy, for couples that are going to be going through this conversation, having this conversation together or with another mentoring couple, maybe in premarital or whatever, one of the questions that they'll encounter today at PursueGod.org is this one. I thought it'd be good for us to talk about this for a second. Make two lists. Number one, good feelings you felt in your marriage. And number two, bad feelings you felt in your marriage. And I think it's good to just like hit this head on and be honest about it, that you get, you get both, you get the good and the bad. And that shouldn't rock the commitment, the marriage commitment, like just go into marriage expecting that there's going to be good stuff and there's going to be bad stuff. Yeah. To me, that's the beauty of marriage is, you know, I didn't know everything I was signing up for on our wedding day. I knew that I had fallen in love with you. I loved many things about you, but I didn't know what it was going to look like how, what kind of a husband you really were going to be or, or how we would do once we added kids in the mix. I mean, we, we ended up moving away from family and we're kind of on our own 
far away, like that, that could have introduced, I mean, it did introduce a lot of stress. Like we, neither of us really knew how we were going to handle those things. But what we knew is that we were committed. And to me, that's a way more valiant love than just if I just feel this overwhelming sense of love for you. Man, I'm I'm just as floored by this level of commitment that we have to each other. And really, frankly, Brian, there's been a lot of times in our marriage, we're almost at 25 years now, where even the bad emotions, you know, the bad times, the times that we've I've felt maybe disconnected from you or not hurt by you, like those bad feelings can really turn in to positives in our relationship. But that's also because we have, like you were talking about these principles, because we've also have earned trust in our relationship that we're for each other. That if I share something that I feel like you've hurt me, that you're going to listen to my feelings and you're going to want to respond to that. That we've worked hard at good communication in our relationship. That even some of those bad or hard times or times that I felt less connected to you, those feelings, we actually were able to turn those into things that made our marriage stronger in the end. But to me, feelings... Romantic feelings, being in love with you is the easy part. The more valiant part, the, the love that I love the most from you is that you're committed to me on my good days and my bad days. Yeah, and that's why I think it's important uh, for couples who are out there, you know, going through this maybe as part of your premarital counseling, uh, I think it's really important for you to memorize and pray about and think about Proverbs 20, verse 25. Now, it's not talking about marriage, but boy, does it apply to marriage. It says, don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God and only later counting the cost. So husbands and wives count the cost. Love is a choice. It's not just a feeling. You know, I, I would encourage you to consider, are you, are you willing, like, you know, it's, we talk about vows, right, Tracy? When, when someone makes, they make vows to each other. We've done many, I've, perform many, many weddings in 20 plus years of ministry and couples every once in a while will want to write their own vows. And one of the things we always tell them is, look, here's, here's the thing. You, I encourage you to write your vows. I think it's great, but make sure that they're vows. Make sure that you're making a promise. Don't just write a poem to each other. Don't just talk about what you love about each other. What, what, a, what a wedding vow is and, and people, couples who have been married or are considering divorce, I would encourage you to go back and read your vows. Because, because vows are important. This is a, this is a covenant that you're making. The, the, that's really a better word, is this a covenant you're making with another person. It's not, it's, not just a, it's not just a let's see if this works out kind of a deal. It's a covenant. Like I'm, I'm, going, I'm promising you in sickness and in health, right? For better or for worse. Those were, those are pretty typical words in vows. Those are great promises to make. But so many people, 44% of people break those promises in our culture. Proverbs 20, 25, don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God and only later counting the cost. Count the cost now. I don't say that to scare you, to, to keep you from getting married. I just think it's important for young people, well, for everybody, even old people, to just really consider that the marital the marital commitment is a covenantal commitment that we make to another person and that we're willing to stick it out even when it doesn't feel the way we want it to feel. Right. And I think that that's what's so interesting to me. People that don't have maybe a biblical view of marriage, 
um, or love, like what we're talking about today, but they want to get married and they say these same traditional vows. But I think it's like, it's so just kind of rote and just kind of part of just the, part of just what you do in American culture and in a, in a wedding that people don't, they're saying these words like in sickness and in health, richer for poor, like we're making these promises basically saying it's not about the feelings. It's not, I'm committed to you only on the good days. Like we're saying in our wedding ceremonies, the contrast and the good and the bad, if we're sick or, or we're healthy until death do us part. But yet in practice, we're all just kind of, well, until you tick me off or until, you know, I decide I'm not attracted to you anymore or whatever. So for the pre-marriage couples, I want to say, don't, don't get married unless you've decided that this is a person that you could spend a lifetime getting to know. <laughs> you know, if their character hasn't proven to you to be trustworthy now, that's not going to get any better. So don't make the commitment of marriage to a person that you can't really trust. And like you said, for the couples out there that did make these promises to each other and are finding themselves in a really hard time, don't give up so fast. Don't, don't give up on those promises that you made because there was a day that you... I hope that you meant those words because you said them to your spouse and in front of your friends and family. Um, remind yourself of those commitments you made and then go on the journey of saying, how did we get off course and how could we get back on course, which we'll be talking about through many, many podcasts in the future. Mark chapter 10, starting at verse two, it says there that some Pharisees came and tried to trap Jesus with a question. So Pharisees were like religious leaders and teachers that they were experts at the law, but they didn't really understand God's heart behind it. Anyway, they asked Jesus this question. They said, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife? And it's interesting how Jesus answered. Well, first of all, he answered with a question. He said, what did Moses say in the law about divorce? And they said, well, he permitted it. He said, a man can give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, which by the way, uh, Back in Jewish times, back in Old Testament times, the the laws were much more favorable to the husbands. A husband could divorce a wife, but a wife couldn't divorce a husband. It was pretty unfair. It was it was actually pretty terrible. But mm -hmm. but they're asking him this again. They don't understand. They don't they don't get it. They don't get the heart behind all of it. They're like looking at the little stickler. You know, they're looking for. Um, well, they're looking at, like it says, they're looking to trap Jesus with this question. But I love how he responds here at the end of this. He, he says, Moses wrote this commandment only as a concession to your hard hearts. But so in other words, this was like, this wasn't God's original plan, right? Here's what God's original plan was. He says, but God made them male and female from the beginning of creation, which by the way, is again, more, further proof that a biblical understanding of marriage is one man, one woman for life. One man, one woman for life. Jesus said God made them male and female. We see that at the very at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. So, so Jesus is referring all the way back to Genesis. And then he says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So again, Jesus is appealing all the way back to the, to the first few chapters of the Bible. He's appealing all the way back to creation. One of the very first things that God blesses Adam with is a wife, is Eve. 
He says, since they are no longer two but one, Jesus speaking now, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So again, if you look at Mark chapter 10, what Jesus is really ultimately saying, he's just trying to say, God's best, God's best is that a husband and a wife come together, they're united into one, that they they experience the oneness that that is supposed to be a gift. Now, I know it doesn't always happen. I know sometimes divorce is inevitable, but... I love that Jesus is is taking these Pharisees, these the the trick question of the Pharisees, and I love that he just simply points them back to God's heart for a man and a woman. Uh, one of the proverbs says that a, that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. So finding a wife is a good thing, and this is what we I think we need to get back to seeing to see marriage, to see love the way Jesus sees it, to really understand it the way it was intended to be a gift for us from the very beginning. Yeah, and I think it's just a good reminder that the choosing part of love, feelings are not bad. Feelings are great. Feelings are wonderful. God gave us emotions. So we're not saying like we should all be in loveless marriages and just be committed, But I think what we need to redirect in our minds is not buying the lie that culture has has depicted for us that love is only about feelings. And so when you feel strong feelings, go get married or be, be in a relationship with this person. And as soon as they tick you off or their hair starts to fall out and they're a balding man in their middle age, you know, ditch them, get out. Romantic love deepens into something more than just the feelings part. And it really becomes that choosing part because as the picture is given to us is that we're now one in marriage. The biblical idea of marriage is it's two people fall in love, come together, and in the eyes of God now are one. So when you start trying to pull that apart, that's why divorce is just so damaging and painful. And anyone that's been through it themselves or or been a child of divorce or whatever, you know, you know how painful divorce is because that's just not what God's design was. So maybe, just maybe, we could make that divorce rate go down more with people that get married to the right person first and foremost, but for those that struggle and life brings some unexpected things that create some distance or hurts in the relationship, that you're able to say, you know what, we made promises to each other. Where did we get off? What do we need to do to get healthy and to get better? Yeah, let's get let's actually get practical just for a minute here, Tracy, because I think one of the most uh, one of the simplest applications of this principle of choosing love in your marriage is to look at the five love languages. Now, later on in the podcast, we're going to actually take a deep dive on all of these love languages. We've got resources at PursueGod.org about this. If you want to learn more about it, of course, you could read the book. Um, There's lots of ways to unpack this, but I think it's good for us to just talk about the five love languages and how choosing love is really what those love languages are all about. So explain, explain the love languages to us, Tracy, and then let's really try to help couples apply it to this area of their marriage. Yeah, to me, the five love love languages, it's by Gary Chapman. It's a great book. It's been around for a really long time. He just did a lot of study on how people show and receive love, and he boiled it down to these five. Now, there's, there's others, but this is what he came up with that kind of captures what most people would say is how they feel loved and how they give love. So 
Words of affirmation is like feeling like you feel most loved when somebody is saying, I love you, I respect you, you're beautiful, you're smart, you're handsome, all of that. The second one is physical touch that you need affection. That's when you feel most loved. Um, acts of service is doing, the doing, serving kind of thing. That's when you feel most loved as if someone's doing something for you. Gift giving, that's kind of an obvious one. Like just some, some for some people, giving gifts is like the, is the best way. Receiving gifts and giving them buying things for someone, being thoughtful in things that you purchase for someone. And then the last one's quality time, just the kind of time that you spend with somebody. So those are the five main categories. And the idea behind it is that yes, you determine which one is your primary language of love, how you feel most loved from your spouse. But the bigger idea is that you learn the language of your spouse, which is likely not your love language. And then you learn to speak your spouse's language. So you don't come to your spouse and say, well, my love language is words of affirmation. So that I feel most loved when you're telling me nice things about myself. So I'm gonna love you that way, Brian. I'm gonna just give words of affirmation to you all day long. Well, here's the problem. You are acts of service. So I can show you love, which to me is very natural. I'm giving you words of affirmation and you like that and you appreciate that, but that isn't how you actually feel most loved by me because I'm not serving you in different ways. So the whole idea is the selfless sacrificial love ideas to say, I want to know what my spouse's love language is and I want to learn how to love them in that language, which may not be my native language. So it's going to take practice. It's going to take intentionality to do it. Yeah, I'll never forget the couple that came in years ago to our office for marriage counseling, and the husband was exasperated. He was so frustrated, and he's, he said, well, but honey, you know my love language is acts of service. And we, at the moment, we were talking about her love language. We were talking about how she needed more words of affirmation. And his response was, well, you know, that's not my love language. And I wanted to wring his neck. I said, you're missing the whole point. The whole point of understanding your love language is not just to tell your wife, well, this is all you'll ever get from me. The whole point, and men need to hear this probably more than women. The whole point is to understand how to speak your spouse's language, even if it's not natural to you. That's choosing love. The point is to choose to do something that's not natural for you, which is to speak your spouse's language. The point is not to tell them this is all that you'll get because I'm only an acts of service kind of a guy. No, that's not love. That's not choosing love. That is the opposite of choosing love. Yeah, and that's so a selfish love, that's, right? That's yeah, that's not selfishness, which not which isn't even love at all, right? Right. And so I true. think for couples to understand that, to recognize that, and to really, you know, for I would just encourage men in particular. I'll, throughout this podcast, I'll always be talking to men and dads, but man, I, like really look in the mirror, spend some time with God, and say, God, help me, help me to be less selfish in the way that I interact with my wife. Help me to be someone who chooses to love her the way she needs to be loved. Man, it'll blow your wife away when you can start doing that. that and this is really why a relationship with, with Jesus is so important to this, because Jesus changes us from the inside out, and he allows us to overcome what's, what's maybe natural to us. The Bible calls it you know, the, our flesh or the sinful nature. 
And the Holy Spirit, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us and, and we begin to live out this new kind of life from the inside out, this more Christ-like life. In fact, I think maybe, Tracy, we should stop, we should end this podcast with this ultimate analogy. You know, the, the analogy that the Bible uses for love is the analogy of Christ loving his church. Ephesians 5 says it like this, verses 25 to 27. It says, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. There's so much to unpack in that passage, but just a couple of things. First of all, it's so interesting that the ultimate analogy for the way that Christ loves the church, the best way that he could explain this to us as human beings is to talk about the relationship between a husband and a wife. So so to me, that, that doesn't just tell us how much we mean to Jesus. It also tells us how much marriage means to Jesus, that he would draw the connection between these two things. But the second thing is, is that he's telling the, the husband, he's saying, look, here's what I did for the church. I set the church apart. That's what holy means. Holy means set apart. So it's like the visual that I always have is that he just, he takes the church, all of the people of God who have placed their faith in Christ and he sets them apart. He kind of puts them up on a, he puts us up on, you know, on, in this other, in this completely different place than he puts the rest of the world. He says, you are my chosen people. You are the ones that I love. And this is how we should be with our spouses is we should put our set our spouse apart and put them in a place that is set apart from every other relationship, every other relationship, not just anyone from the opposite sex, someone at work or at the gym or whatever. That's the obvious one. But really there's so many other things, Tracy, I think we could learn that couples can learn from when it comes to setting apart your spouse from all these other people. Well, and I think if we're all honest, when we first start dating our now spouse. I mean, we're on our best behavior, right? In our dating time, we're we're courting each other, you know, we're we're going out of our way to be kind, to be romantic, to be thoughtful, to be intentional. And over time we could just find ourselves lulled into this place where we're just not trying that hard anymore. So it's not really that we don't love each other. It's just that we stopped working at our relationship. We stop trying to please the other person and serve the other person. And so to me, that that challenge of Paul equating Christ's love for the church and that selfless sacrificial love that he has for us and then equates that to the way a husband and a wife should love each other, like that is a high calling. But I tell you, I have yet to meet a couple that if both people in the relationship are loving selflessly and sacrificially. If their attitude really is, listen, I'm not perfect. Maybe I made a bad choice. I failed in this particular area, but I love you and I want to serve you and I want to make you better and I want you to make me better. That's a recipe for a healthy marriage. Like you can come back from, from a lot of things if you just approach each other with, I'm going to put you ahead of me. I'm going to put your needs ahead of my needs. That's that's the beautiful picture of then how a couple who might hit harder times can say, okay, that was disappointing. That was a bummer. That was hurtful. But you know what? 
we're kind of getting a reset here. And I'm seeing that my spouse is saying, I want to, I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to put you ahead of even myself. That is the recipe for a healthy marriage. Yeah. And that means you set, you set your spouse apart from, from yourself, right? It's so easy to put you, put yourself first in your life. And I think men especially need to learn that you set your spouse apart from your friends, you know, your guy friends, your golf buddies. <clears throat> you set yourself, your spouse apart from your parents. I think for young couples, that's you know, for us, Tracy, when we first got married, that was the heart, probably the hardest thing is to learn that, that this principle of leaving and cleaving, right? That we leave our family of origin, we cleave to one another and form our own family. And so that means you, you, you set your spouse apart from your parents. But later in life, when you, once you have kids, that means you set your spouse apart from your kids, right? So, I mean, it's so interesting to see as couples um, mature in their, sort of along that progression, that it's so easy to become just like your parents. You felt like your parents were smothering, and then you, you become smothering with your own kids. Well, again, what's a biblical perspe perspective on that is set your spouse apart, even from your kids. You should not have a a more special relationship with your kids than you have with your spouse. Now, Tracy, we love our kids. We have two kids. They'll be on this podcast. When we talk about some of the parenting stuff, they're going to give us some really good insights about parenting. But we love our kids, but we are not one with our kids. And I think a lot of, a lot of couples confuse that out of love for their kids. They, they actually go overboard, and now they're actually being unhealthy. And not, not just in the relationship. It doesn't just impact their relationship with their kids. It impacts their relationship with their spouse. And then it even impacts your kids' relationship with their future in-laws. And there's all kinds of stuff. And we'll be talking about all of this, right? Oh, yeah, there's the so much of, to get into on all yeah. of that, yes. But you also set your spouse apart from your job. You set your spouse apart from your hobbies. That's what it means to make your spouse holy. Holy just means set apart that your spouse is set apart from everything else. There's this, you, there's this oneness relationship that is unique to the, to the husband and wife relationship biblically. There's no other relationship like it. And that's why Jesus drew this analogy between a husband and a wife and Christ and his love for the church. Yeah, so it's a high calling for sure. But I think if we can reorient our understanding of love, and not let it be defined by what our cultures tried to sell us, which is what's leading to a divorce rate. That's, you know, it might be declining right now, but who knows what's going to happen in the coming years that almost half of marriages are ending in divorce. Let's let the Bible and the creator and designer of even what love is tell us what marital love really should look like and, and the difference that it can make that you can move beyond just saying, well, how, how do I feel, right? And look more at, okay, I once had love for this person. What, what's, what's missing right now? And where does my commitment then need to kick in to say, let's keep working at this thing. Let's not let this marriage fail just because our feelings are telling us we feel a little hopeless right now. What, what can we start to do? How can we start to serve one another? How can we get counseling and learn new skills to say that love is about making choices every single day. We're either choosing to feed 
health into our marriage or we're choosing to feed feelings that are going to lead us to justify bad choices. All right, I want to finish with just one more passage. We've already referenced it, but it's time to read it. This is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. I read this at every wedding I ever perform. A lot, it's funny, a lot, of couple, a lot of people come up to me and say, that was a beautiful poem. Where was that from? Who wrote that? Well, God wrote it, and it's from, a, it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. But only biblical love does that, not the feelings kind of love. Again, feelings aren't wrong, but feelings aren't ultimate. Love is a covenant. Love is a commitment that we make. Marital love is, and when you when you view love that way, then that kind of love can last a lifetime. That kind of love can never quit. And so we encourage you to talk about this with your spouse, with a with another couple. In fact, you know, this is our first of, like we said, many podcasts as we talk about marriage and parenting and everything uh, that would make a family great. And so if you've got questions or if you've got suggestions for topics that you'd like for us to cover on this podcast, you can send that in to podcast at pursuegod.org and find all of these resources. If you want to talk about it again with, uh, with another couple, if you want, if you want to go through this with your spouse, if you want to find discussion questions, you can find all of it at pursuegod.org forward slash family. That's where you can find our marriage and parenting content along with series such as marriage basics, which is what we're going over today. So make sure to share this with a friend, make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it so that more and more people can learn about what it really means to pursue God in a healthy marriage. We'll see you next time. Hey listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.